0: All right. Today on the show, I got an interesting guest. His name is Dave Hirschkop. He is the founder of Dave's Gourmet Fiery Foods. Dave's initial claim to fame was he created the hottest hot sauce ever. Yep, you heard it. Hottest. That led to them getting banned from trade shows and a bunch of PR, a bunch of press, but then Dave knew he was onto something. And then he started creating more and more sauces. So in this episode, we really talk about what it takes from a product standpoint to be compelling. What does it take to stand out from the competition and make sure that your product is a leader in a category or really the only one in a category, You know, really a a step above where you're at such a quality that there isn't as much competition. So I I really enjoyed this. Dave brings decades of entrepreneurship experience to the podcast. It was a great conversation. But before we get into it, as always, the show is brought to you by Cave. That is us. We are a marketing agency based out of LA that helps companies grow. And we usually do it through social media. So if you need help, head over to cavesocial.com, hit us up, we'd glad to help you. Hit us up, we'd be glad to help you out. All right, now let's sit back, relax, enjoy this episode. What's going on, my marketing people? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I'm sitting with Dave Hirschkop. He is the founder at Dave's Gourmet Fiery Foods. Dave, how you doing?
1: I am good, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I'm excited to have you here. So I looked at your LinkedIn before we hit record and before we got you booked. And Dave, you've been doing this food business for quite some time. So walk me through your journey from really creating the first sauce, expanding the company. Like what's that timeline look like in your entrepreneurial journey?
1: Sure, sure. Well, I wanted to be a spy along the lines of CIA, you know, James Bond guy. Couldn't get a security clearance, I think. So uh, I switched from my Soviet studies and uh, opened up a restaurant called Burrito Madness in College Park, Maryland, and um, worked my butt off and didn't go as planned. But while I was there, I started burning people's faces off with super hot sauce. (laughs) These drunk people came in, started annoying me a little too much. And so I figured out how to make the hottest sauce in the universe, which became insanity sauce. Because when we took it to the National Fiery Foods Show, people were like, you're insane. In fact, we were so insane that they actually banned us from the show. The New York Times picked up on that. A bunch of media picked up on us. It just kind of took off quickly. So we became this super hot sauce company that became like a spicy foods company that became a sauce company. Uh, we added pasta sauces in and, and like I think 2001. Uh, they took off a few years later, like butternut squash pasta sauce and red heirloom tomato and organic sauces. And so, uh, yeah, I became this crazy sauce company. And now we have like creamy hot sauces, these whipped vegan sauces that are amazing and just a crazy adventure, 28-year-long adventure.
0: I love it. And I love that you started... You know the the restaurant really kind of like opened the eyes to like oh okay there's something compelling here right and the sauce then you beat the sauce you get banned obviously that's being notorious is a great PR play and when that happens even even if it was you know not intentional or anything but it's like okay we got to lean into this so. As you started to build the brand, then the company grew was it largely how important or I guess what channels did you look at from a marketing perspective and growing the company? was it all just hey retail retail, retail and then did, was there a dtc component that started earlier or later like how have you all approached you know getting the product to people's kitchen tables? Has it been largely through retail?
1: yeah, so I mean we started out with you know consum- well. Me handing out little souffle cups in my restaurant to consumers. And then it became some, you know, hot sauce stores and gourmet stores and some direct-to-consumer through catalog. You know, you're talking early 90s, so there wasn't, you know, uh, internet. Um, Strangely, I think we launched our website, I think the same year that Amazon did, but um, they did a slightly better job. Uh, (laughs) But, um, yeah, we went... You know, gourmet stores, specialty stores, natural food stores, that became grocery stores. Costco has been a good customer over the years. More recently, you know, Walmart, Kroger, Safeway Albertsons, you know, Fresh Market, Whole Foods, Sprouts, that kind of stuff. You know, some direct-to-consumer, like Amazon's a big customer. But um, we definitely haven't been as good at direct-to-consumer and digital as we should have been. I think I just got distracted. A butterfly might have been flying by at the time. And I was like, hey... Do you see the color of those wings?
0: It's interesting, right? I like the, you know, you make that analogy, but it's so true that being an entrepreneur, right? Things are flying a million miles a minute. There's this article from Inc. Magazine saying you should try this. And then there's an opportunity here. And then in the food space, it's like a new flavor, an old flavor. Do I mix them together? Like there is endless, endless possibilities. But in a world where it seems like there's so much choice right? For consumers, there's really, you said it before and it kind of rung true where like most companies are average because that's the definition, right? How did you approach making a product that wasn't average and that isn't average and really trying to make it compelling? Were there lessons from the restaurant? Like, I mean- being an entrepreneur has continual lessons, but was there something like an aha moment where you're like, we need to make this the hottest sauce that ever existed, or we need to just do this differently to make it a really compelling product? Was there that moment or was it just kind of gradual? Walk me through that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because every time I get too businessy and start like, you know, I started thinking about it like as part of like a numerical plan or this or that, I, it didn't go as well. So, you know, people, are, people gravitate towards different parts of their business. I'm a product person. So like when I just sort of like, sat down with products and just looked at like, hey, it'd be, wouldn't it be cool if I made the hottest sauce in the world? Huh, how would I do that? And just simplify things to like a very basic level. Well, what's in the pepper? Well, there's a substance in there. Huh, how do I get that out and put that straight in the sauce? And, you know, so I figured out how to do that. And so then I just tested it on people over and over till till I could see the reaction it was just like immense. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the one. You know, with the pasta sauce, it was the same idea of like, you know, you know, are they actually putting the best tasting tomato inside of that jar for pasta sauce? Or is it like the one that ships best and is, you know, most cost effective or the one that like, you know, everyone says is best. So just a lot of experimentation and sort of like very basic thinking. The downside to doing things that way, of course, is like we've had so many things I wanted to create over the years that just weren't pragmatic because the theory of like what should work, you know, when you're small, like I can't create a supply chain like a big company can. You know, I just have to, like, we had a, our second pasta sauce was this golden tomato pasta sauce, amazing sauce. It was doing really well. There was only one supplier in the world that could supply us and they went bankrupt. Ah. Um, And then I just couldn't, like, I couldn't or wasn't willing to, like, hawk the company to, like, contract for yellow tomatoes and agriculture's risk because, you know, we did one experiment with this farmer uh, and, like, his whole field got blossom and rot and everything just was done. So it's like, it's hard because you just have to be like, you know, all in for some of these projects and there's a lot of risk.
0: That's, it's interesting. There's two things there, right? Which one, I, I think I love the approach that it's really a good mix of curiosity with experimentation, with action, right? A lot of people are curious and never act. So I love this, like, what's the substance? Okay, let's find out what that substance is that makes it the hottest. Okay, let's pull that out. Okay, can we just continually asking questions, I think is a great way to approach you know, business, but then two, action, experiment, try, which I always try to like, okay, I'm going to try to put together equal amounts of time planning or asking questions and then executing and trying to be like, okay, am I actually doing those experiments or am I just pie in the sky all the time? Right. Yeah. And I think that's been useful and is a useful lesson for anyone listening. And then two, you said something there really interesting that I learned probably in the same manner you did, but. When your business is dependent on someone else's business, you're now really—I hate to use the word prisoner—but you're really prisoner to like their execution and their business model. And if oh they go bankrupt now, our product is no longer here, and of course there's you know supply chain and stuff. But I've learned that in digital, when we had a client that was sixty percent of our revenue, and then they didn't hit their funding, and then they come to me and go, oh, we didn't hit our raise. We're not raising the you know the software company is not going to be around in a month, and that's. Okay, so now is my company not going to be around in a month, right? Um, And and I I think that's a a lesson that uh, you learn by getting punched in the teeth sometimes.
1: (laughs) I mean, you have to hedge your bet to some degree. I mean, you know, I mean, sometimes there are situations where it's very hard to do, and you know, you got to get a little bit lucky. I mean, I think the other thing, the third thing is also like, You know, entrepreneurs have a certain set of blinders on because we're focused on the opportunity and what's awesome and not necessarily, if you focus on the risk too much, you won't act. I mean, Richard Branson, like that guy's in all sorts of businesses he knew nothing about. If he thought he had to know something about all these businesses, he wouldn't have done it. And
0: he's Um, got a bunch that have failed, like that people never heard of, like Virgin Cola, you know, and I love that having that kind of default to action which I think is very useful for entrepreneurs to go, okay, well, I'm not going to know until I try. Just get out there, try. Right, oh, right.
1: And some things, you know, take five years of R&D and you need $100 million. And it's a little harder to do that in those areas. But food is like, I mean, food, you can do a lot of experimentation. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a great industry.
0: And it's interesting. I, I have a question for you with the food. And you built, so when you go and you build the hottest hot sauce, right? There's a novelty to it. I probably wouldn't put that on all my meals, you know, it would be an experience. Hey, I'm going to try this. Can I handle it now? Was there a ch- challenge or walk me through kind of that? Like, all right, now we have these other lines that are maybe have a little bit more repeatable purchase volume to them, right? Like the pasta sauces, was that a difference in branding that and like, okay, how do we use the hot sauce as kind of this, like for lack of a better term, lead magnet or champion product that gets people in and then, okay, now we want to have some of these other products you know, to the consumer more
1: more repeatedly. Yeah, I mean, so I'm like, you know, the semi accidental entrepreneur in the sense that I was just goofing off with the hot with the super hot sauces. It just <laughs> caught on, right? But logically, what you would have done is you would have gone to like hot sauces that aren't that hot, and you know, just done mass market there and a very cohesive brand. The fact that I went to the pasta sauces with a slightly different look and all that definitely was. Made it a challenge to market and sell over the years. And so that's always been a little different, but you know, it's probably the ADD brain at work. But you know, ideally you would have the haymaker that like creates the excitement, and then you have the workhorse that like, you know, brings in the bread. But you know, and if you're lucky, it's all the same thing.
0: Right. 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 I I love that though, that analogy, the boxing analogy, right? It's like having that. The big splash and the PR and the thing that you can really bring people in and, and having things that, okay, oh, there's this other line. And when I see it at Costco or at the grocery store, great, I'll be able to go through and I know that's good. I know the quality. And then I just start to, it becomes the sauce that I buy and I use, right? Right. So and also uh,
1: i bandies about authenticity nowadays. You know, like Insanity Sauce had massive authenticity because I didn't create it to sell anything. I created it just to like burn people's faces off. And I, I got the chili heads, you know, I, I got what they were all about. And that's why, you know, I used to talk to all these, I can't remember the names anymore, but I used to talk to like Billy Gibbons and like Buddy Hackett and all these like celebrities who are hot sauce people. And like, they just, they just loved it. It was just sort of a fun culture, you know, because it wasn't like some marketing ploy or like we did research on the market and decided, oh, we could make a buck doing this.
0: It's interesting, right? Like when we look at that product led growth and really just being like, I wanted to make something, for, you know, for chili heads and then that way uh, like my family's obsessed with hot sauce like my brother i get him hot sauce gift every year it's that's you know it's very much and it's to that point of if we would have went for the mass you know marketed hot sauce it's not hot to us it's like vinegar and we don't really like it and it's like okay that's what you have at the restaurant sure i mean i'm not i'm not excited about that it's just another thing that tastes like vinegar to me, with a different little pepper or whatever, and I'm like, we want hot. So I could totally understand that when you speak to, hey, we make it for you know the Somalias of hot sauce, the connoisseur, so to speak, and then it can actually permeate down. and There's an interesting book called Small Data, which I'd highly recommend to any listener, kind of on this phenomenon and how particularly Lego did the same thing. They started to make products for these super like Lego architects. I didn't know this really existed, but there's like Lego architects that are very, very into it. And then that actually made their sales and more kids get involved opposed to let's just make big blocks that anyone can put together.
1: Yeah. We're actually going to a Lego art exhibition in like two weeks here in San Francisco, you know, because my kid, one of my kids was like a big Lego builder when he was young. There you go. Uh, But, but I mean like, you know, you don't want to drive a car. You want to drive like a Tesla or a Ferrari. You don't want to just wear clothes. You want to wear clothes that are like, you know, the wow clothes or, you know, I don't know if you like coconut water, but like Harmless Harvest, like it tastes much better. I'd rather drink, drink that stuff or like, you know, bourbon or whatever. I mean, you know, there's the whole branding thing of like we found our people and this and that and like make believe but there's the branding side of things where some things are just better nobody
0: cheers for the main character who drives away in a Nissan Altima at the end of the movie
1: that's just the reality of it
0: and yeah and not that that's a bad car it's a fine car but when we look at being the main characters of our own lives yeah I want there are certain things that like we see and they are are better you get into a tesla it's better it's just there's no other way to kind of like sure we can go through the features the speeds this and that but there's also this like innate feeling that gets in and we've all had that when you've had something that's a high quality product they just know, oh, that, that just feels right or that just works right. It just does what I need it to do when I need it to do. It's something that can be pretty, pretty powerful from a, a product standpoint and getting people to, you know, become part of the quote unquote tribe for that company and, and the people who will really right. go follow you and, and purchase from you. So I'm with and, and that's
1: a combination. It's, I mean, I'm always preaching, make the best thing possible in the market, but it's not just that it's also market fit. If you make the best left footed shoe in the world that's cool. But if people really prefer right-footed shoes, I mean, you're just not going to do this well. It's partly under getting the market and getting it right in that sense. But like, and some people can create mediocre products, but the market fits really good. So they do really well. In fact, I think there's a lot of people in that, that situation. But if you can do that and make the best product, you know, you'll get the flywheel effect. I mean, Amazon always talks about the flywheel, right? Once you get the momentum that they outsize benefit, i mean, like, I don't know how many iPhones were like, the prize of giveaways and Apple had nothing to do with it. Yep, they didn't lift a finger. They didn't spend a cent. You know, companies bought iPhones from them and then gave them tons of free publicity because they used it as a prize. I mean, that's some of the outsized effects you get of just creating a better mousetrap.
0: Yeah, great and the best thing, right? I, I love that, Dave. Before I let you go, let people know where can they one connect with you online, and then two, you know, learn more about the the sauces.
1: Sure. So it's davesgourmet.com is our website. Of course, you can find us on Amazon. And then I'm David Hirschkop. And so uh, you can always look me up on LinkedIn and send me some interesting notes. I will read them.
0: Amazing. And I will put links to both those in the show notes page. So you can go connect with Dave. Also grab yourself some hot sauce. If anyone listening is a, a chili head or loves hot sauce, we'll get you over there so you can get some good product. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thanks, Jordan. It was fun. I appreciate it.
0: All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.